Good morning, church family. It is good to see you this morning. Glad that we can be here together to worship. If you're visiting with us, I know we've got quite a few visitors. We're so thankful that you're here. And if you're traveling through or visiting folks here, we're thankful that you're here. And if you're from the community, we're certainly glad that you are here and hope that we can get to know you better and help you in whatever way we can as we make our way towards heaven. I do want to let everybody know about a couple weeks from now, we've got our Super Sunday that we do every year. Uh, so two weeks from today, uh, we'll have an, a combined adult Bible class in the small auditorium uh, with a guest speaker, and then that same guest speaker will come and speak to us uh, during our worship hour. We'll have a fellowship meal over in the gym and then a devotional over there, and no PM service. So that's two weeks from now, so, so make plans ahead. Uh, it is a Super Sunday. In the last few years, we've been having a, a souped-themed potluck. Uh, so there is a sign-up sheet in the uh, out, this foyer right here. Uh, so so sign up to bring a, a soup or a side or a dessert or something along those lines. So if you can do that, uh, we would certainly appreciate it and we look forward uh, to that good day. Uh, this morning we're continuing our series uh, on the way and we're talking about what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus. This morning, if you're a Christian, you have signed up, you have declared, you have named Jesus as your Lord and you have said by doing those things, I want to follow Jesus. And so what we're thinking about uh, this year really is, well, what does that mean? Uh, I want to follow Jesus. I want to go to heaven. I want to be with him forever. Uh, but what does it mean to follow Jesus today here where I'm at? And we've been studying the last several weeks, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter five, uh, that's where we'll be here in just a few minutes. Uh, if you're using your pew Bible, I believe that's on page 810, page 810, Matthew chapter five. So we're talking about uh, Jesus is just starting his ministry. He's, he's grown up. He's around 30 years old or so now, and he's just been baptized. And uh, after that baptism, he's led away for the temptation. And after the temptation, uh, he comes back and he's really starting to gather disciples. And we remember, and I want you, I want this to stick with you every time we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, especially uh, that as he goes up on the mountain, large crowds are following him. He goes up on the mountain and what happens? His disciples came to him. If we want to follow Jesus, we've got to come to Jesus. We've got to understand what does he say? What does he want me to do? And in and, and his, his first recorded sermon, uh, when he's starting this ministry and he's gathering people to, to be his followers, we want to think about what are the things that he's talking to us about. And we made it through the Beatitudes a couple of weeks ago, we made it through some other things like we're the light of the world, the salt of the earth uh, last week. And, and now he's going to get into some things that then in reality he's getting into our business. Okay, uh, and today's topic, uh, I, don't, I don't know about for you, I imagine for some of us certainly, but I do know about it for me that it, it hits a little too close to home. It makes me uncomfortable because he's talking about things that sometimes I struggle with. He's talking about uh, specifically anger uh, today. And, and I think that, you know, he's talking about anger today and next week we're going to talk about marriage and he talks about it, several other personal relationships. I think he's talking about things, not just those things, but he's using those as an example to say, hey, you struggle with these things because he knows sometimes we struggle with, with anger or negative feelings and we, he knows that marriage is not easy so we, we sometimes struggle in, in marriage. He's talking about relatable things that a lot of people can relate to and while there are some specific lessons for those things, there are broader principles that apply to every interaction, every personal relationship uh, that we have. Uh, so this morning, let's, let's start talking about and, and reviewing a little bit in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17, uh, the letter versus the spirit of the law. The letter versus the spirit of the law. Go back to Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 17. Jesus talking here says, 
Don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. So talking about the Old Testament law. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And here's the challenge for us because it was definitely a challenge for the Jews in the first century in verse 20. Jesus says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom that you and I want to be a part of. And we've said this a couple times at least. If Jesus is here talking about, hey, if, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you better do better than the scribes and the Pharisees, then you and I are in trouble. If it's about following the, the letter of the law to a greater degree than the scribes and the Pharisees did, then you and I have some problems because they followed it to the letter, uh, to, to the greatest extent as far as just absolutely according to exactly what it says, the most literal translation and understanding. The scribes and the Pharisees had that down to a science. They knew what they were doing. So if it's about, if Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you better do better than the scribes and the Pharisees. I would suggest to you, we don't have a chance. But I'd also say that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I I want you to really understand what these laws are about and what they mean, okay? Uh, Because we we learn in Galatians chapter two uh, and verse 16, Galatians chapter two and verse 16 says, by the works of the law, okay, by doing the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Now, Jesus has said, listen, I didn't, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. But then Galatians teaches us by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Well, what do we, what do we come away from that with? The law, the Old Testament law. We can think about uh, the Ten Commandments <clears throat> and the hundreds of other commandments in the Old Testament. You can think about even the, the do's and don'ts that we have within the, 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 the first century, within the New Testament, within this, this new covenant. You can think about either one of those. By the works of the law, by the do's and the don'ts, no flesh will be justified. Listen, the law is good. And Jesus said it's important, not the smallest letter, not the smallest thing is, it was, go- was going to be done away with it until it was fully fulfilled. The law is good, it's important, but the law does not save. The lawgiver saves. And we think about it, if, if, if I have to, if my righteousness has to surpass the, the do's and the don'ts, the, the right and the wrong, the, the doing that the scribes and Pharisees are doing, then, then I'm without hope. But if there's something more, if there's something greater, if there's a greater righteousness than just my ability to, to do or to not do or to follow the laws, then perhaps I have a hope. Let's notice this first example that he gives, which is a good law, but it's emphasizing a better purpose. Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. You, 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 this is a familiar passage. It won't surprise you if you were in the first century and you knew the, uh, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. This would have sounded familiar to you as well. He says, you have heard the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever murders shall be guilty before the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to your brother Raka or you're worthless shall be guilty before the Sanhedrin. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, you and I would agree, right, that don't murder. That's a good law, right? That, that's a pretty solid law. But, but listen, d- did you know that it's illegal to murder people in America? but murder still happens all the time. 
I was looking it up last night. About uh, every 30 minutes in America, someone's killed. I looked up the, the world stats. Every minute, someone is murdered. And it's illegal all around the world to murder people. But it still happens. It's a good law. The Old Testament, when, when, when the Old Testament, when God said uh, in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. That was a good law. But what's the greater purpose to it? Did you notice what Jesus says? Look at there again. Uh, you know, don't commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be guilty before the court. Verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. When think about this, um, we, we would agree that don't murder, that's, that's a good law. But you and I, we still have problems due to anger and due to resentment and due to unresolved issues. We can't store up these things in our heart. Certainly, we would, we would understand, and, and everybody, even the unreligious people, would understand that, that murder is a problem. But Jesus equates being angry. Murder, you're guilty before the court. Angry with your brother, you're guilty before the court. If you say somebody's worthless, if you have those kinds of thoughts about someone, you're worthless, then you're guilty before the Sanhedrin, a, a higher court. And if you say uh, to someone, you call someone a fool, then you're guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Okay, well, some of us are in trouble there, aren't we? Right? Because we've called some names before, hadn't we? Because we've thought those types of things before about people, haven't we? Now, listen, we, we've got we've to reconcile this because we, we would agree that murder is a problem, but, but all of us have struggled with anger sometimes. And then we think about Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. You'll remember these words, whether you remember that's in that passage or not, but Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, uh, Paul says, be angry, but what? Do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. But Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty. Okay, well, well what's the difference there? Again, it's this, it's this storing up, it's this harboring these types of feelings about people in your heart. See, that's not where those verses end in Ephesians chapter four. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. You see, the reason that we move from being angry about something or at someone to considering them worthless, to calling them a fool, is because we fail to address the issues. And what Jesus is saying here, as he's going to say throughout the rest of this chapter, is he's calling us to a higher standard. You have heard this, and they had heard it because it was the law. But I say to you this, Jesus says, let me explain to you the reasoning and the meaning behind that law. You see, surely it's wrong for us to murder. But Jesus is saying here, our responsibility, our responsibility for our actions, does it just end there? All the things that lead up to, to someone taking the action of murdering someone, we're responsible for those things too. We're responsible for our anger. We're responsible for how we feel about people and how we value people. We're responsible about how we treat people and what we consider people and how we, how we speak to people. Because when we don't address the issue, then eventually it might lead maybe not to a physical murder, but maybe a murder within our heart. A lack of care, a lack of concern, maybe even a desire for something bad to happen to someone. Maybe you wouldn't do it with your hand, but if something bad happens to that person, you're not sad about it, right? That, that's a higher standard than, than don't murder. 
That's a higher standard than, than don't take that physical action of, of murdering someone, of killing someone. God is calling us to a higher standard. It is that upward way. It is the, the way that we read about earlier in Matthew chapter 7 where it, it's a narrow path. It's a difficult way, but it's the way that God wants us to follow him. There are unresolved conflicts, and with those unresolved conflicts, there are consequences. And that's what it starts to talk about uh, in the next several verses. Uh, notice what it says in verse 23 and 24 as we think about what are some, what are some consequences of unresolved conflicts. Here, again, Jesus is not just giving us broad um, laws. He's telling us, hey, in, in your daily interactions with people, here are some things that you really need to, you really need to understand. Verse 23 and 24. Therefore, because of these things that he's just said, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and come and present your offering. What's a consequence of unresolved conflict? Here he uses an example of, hey, if you're, if you're going to worship God, if you're about to present a, an offering on the altar, stop it. If you know that your brother has something against you, if you know that you're angry with your brother or your brother's angry with you, it would be better for you to stop worshiping me and go and resolve that conflict, be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and worship me. What's the consequence of unresolved conflict? Unacceptable worship. And I would dare say that perhaps today, even in this room, based on that scripture and others we'll talk about briefly, that there may be some of us here worshiping today whose worship may be unacceptable to God because of unresolved conflict. Is that a big deal? Does God need to be pleased with our worship? Does God need to be pleased with the, the, when, the, the heart with which we come before him and offer him praise? Absolutely. Jesus says, listen, if you're, if you're at the altar and you've got the animal ready to go and the priest is there and you're about to, to lay it on the altar, but then you remember, hey, my brother has got something against me. I've got unresolved conflict. He says, leave. Go and take care of that and then come back. In other passages, it, it tells us similar things. In Mark chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, and, and Mark's recording of, uh, of when you're praying and the forgiveness, he says, uh, when you pray, forgive so that you can be forgiven. Have you thought about your, your prayers being hindered because of your lack of forgiveness of other people? Listen, again, what does it say? When you pray, forgive so that your Father in heaven will forgive you. Well, what is true if you don't forgive? When you pray, if you don't forgive, you're prohibiting, you're stopping, you're putting something in between God's willingness, at least, maybe not his ability, but his willingness to forgive you of your sins. How many of us have things that we've not forgiven people for? And we just prayed a number of times in this worship service and in our Bible class. And God says, when you pray, forgive so that you can be forgiven. Have your prayers been hindered. In Matthew chapter 18, it talks about if you, if your brother sins against you or if your brother sins, you go and show him his fault so that you can win your brother back. Again, there's, there's this responsibility that we have that if, if we have something against someone or if someone has something against us, then, then we need to go and address this. Husbands, listen to this one. In first Peter chapter three and verse seven, first Peter three, seven, it says, husbands, you better treat your wife the right way 
given who she is and, and, and the role that she plays in your life. And then the end of it says, with the idea, because if you don't, your prayers are hindered. Husbands, how many of our prayers have been hindered because we haven't treated our wives the way God wants us to treat them? Not the way the world wants us to treat them. Not even the way our wives want us to treat them. But the way that God wants us to treat them. Unresolved conflict. There is no doubt. Scripture makes it clear that our worship, our relationship with God is hindered when we fail to resolve conflicts. Why don't we resolve conflicts? Because it's not any fun. Why don't we go and have hard conversations? Because we'd rather not. But sometimes we've got to do the hard things. But that's not the only thing that are the consequences of unresolved conflict. We also have uh, worsening circumstances. Listen to the specific example Jesus gives in verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid the last amount you owe. There again, worsening circumstances and he uses a, a specific example of hey, listen you've you've got a, a a legal situation and you're going to the court and and he says hey you need to in, in that situation in that circumstance you need to get friendly with the person that, that's at odds with you so that so that it ter- doesn't turn out bad for you there's working wor- worsening circumstances but what i want us to recognize generally and to understand uh that we can apply to a lot of different things who, what's the the impetus of this? Who's, who's the focus of this? If you've got unresolved conflict, if you are, are worshiping and you realize that your brother has something against you, who's the one who's supposed to act? You are. If you're on your way to court with someone and, and, and you're, you're fearful of what the, the outcome's going to be, what, who's supposed to act? You are. You are supposed to go. You are supposed to take responsibility. You are supposed to be willing to say you're sorry. You are to love the person more than you love being right. You are to seek peace more than keeping your own rights. You, it's your responsibility. Listen, and we think about what does it mean to follow Jesus? Yes, we, we fully rely on the grace of God to save us. But then there is a high expectation. You have heard it was this way, but I'm telling you it's even more. God expects you to act differently. To do things that, that by the world standards, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you are about to come worship God and you recognize somebody has something against you, you go and fix it. If you're in a, a legal situation, a confrontational situation, you try and make it better. You do your part. Yes, God's working and we're fully relying on God to, to bring about his will but there is a responsibility for each of us to do these things. Now, I, li- I read this list, and my wife reads this list, and she makes a smirk, probably. I'm not always good at these things. You go and try and fix these things. You take responsibility for your own actions. Hey, listen, I don't, I don't know about you, but I know about me. There's a lot of responsibility that I've got to take in a lot of situations. Because in every situation, it's at least partly my fault. And that's not just my wife saying that, that's me admitting it, okay? And the same thing's true for you. In whatever circumstance or situation you're, you're in, some of the fault, some of the blame, some of the circumstances lands in your lap. You take responsibility. You say, I'm sorry. Christians, we've got to love the person more than we love being right. 
For some of us, that hits a little closer to home than others. We've got to love the person and that relationship we have with them more than we love being right. Remember one of those uh, Beatitudes that we talked about? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We've got to love peace more than we love our rights. More than we love, this is, this is what I deserve. This is how I deserve to be treated. We've got to love seeking peace more than we love being right or having our own rights. You see, we have greater righteousness in Christ. We have a, a changed life that should lead us to changed actions. And we can't hold or harbor these negative feelings within our own heart. But notice again what it says in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I think one of the main points of maybe the entire Sermon on the Mount, but certainly this section as Jesus is calling us to a higher standard is, uh, again, going back to the letter versus the spirit of the law. Um, a lot of times we can, get, we can get caught up in and we can get excited about and enthusiastic about, hey, I'm going to make sure exactly what Jesus says, exactly what the Bible says, I'm going to do exactly what it says. And we should do that. When, when Scripture guides us, we should follow it. When God's Word tells us this is the right way and this is the wrong way, then we should listen to that. But it's not so much about following the letter of the law as it is making sure our heart is right with God. Making sure that, that we've really committed ourselves. I, I want to follow Jesus because He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And I know I'm not going to get to the Father unless I follow Him. Uh, this morning, we, we've specifically talked about anger. As you examine yourself this morning, do you struggle with anger? Um, the only person I can use in ex- as an example is me. You know, with, with you guys, I'm pretty even keel. I don't get too high. I don't get too low. Uh, you can talk to Evan and Topher in the office. I don't normally get too high or too low. I'm, I'm pretty easy going. My family seen the worst of me. Maybe the best, but definitely the worst. And raising kids is a bigger challenge than I ever thought it would be. I do cover your prayers. Do you struggle with anger? Do you let that anger, because you don't address it, and you don't resolve those conflicts? Do you let it build to something more than that? Do you let it build to those negative feelings that you harbor in your heart that make you think negative things about other people and that lead you to sin? Again, Scripture tells us, Paul tells us, you can be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give Satan an opportunity to mess up your life just because you're upset about something. Be brave enough, be strong enough to address what you're dealing with so that your worship, your relationship with God isn't hindered and that your relationship with people isn't hindered. Do You need to let us know that you struggle with that because we know that there are those who do. In a minute, we'll stand and sing a song. And if you need to let someone know something like that, I encourage you to do that. But um, what's the takeaway? Hey, address it. 
you got problems, if you got issues, if, you, if somebody has something against you, if you have something against somebody, don't just let it go because if you let it go, you're giving Satan an opportunity. And I promise you he'll use it. And right now you've got an opportunity in just a minute to come forward and let us know, your family who loves you, uh, that you need help. And we want to help you in whatever way we can. Uh, this, this morning, if you're not a Christian, hey, Jesus addressed the problem. You made the problem because you sinned and you, you separated yourself from God. And Jesus addressed the problem through his sacrifice and his resurrection. If you want to become a Christian this morning, we would love to help you uh, in that journey. Brothers and sisters, if you have any needs at all, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.